0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 131 for Monday, March 8th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixlriffs, and joining me, as always, is mountain man Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hey, I've
1: got the beard to match, my friend. There it is. I'm not sure how much longer it's going to last as spring approaches here in the Maritimes, but uh, right now I I look very Canadian, I will say. Absolutely. Uh, And if you want to hear more about uh, how Canadian I look, uh how johnny is taking his adventures of, in podcasting to a new level and how i am uh messing around in the new builds in satisfactory you should listen to the render distance it's the extended version of the podcast that we record every week for our patrons go to patreon.com slash chunks become a member and you get access to a ton of new audio content so you've been uh, playing around
0: in satisfactory but have you been playing around in minecraft this week
1: I have indeed and uh, I have completed one of the builds I've been talking about quite a bit on the show and that is the Eastern Bridge that I was mentioning. Uh, I have completed this 45 degree angle bridge. It's asymmetrical. It's got uh, two towers that are the same but then it also has a couple of towers that are uh, just completely different from one another. They have different functions. One's a guardhouse. One's a uh, kind of a turret type thing. And I've been really enjoying the way that this uh, has come together. And moving the, the curtain wall to match the the bridge also was a, a fun a fun way to kind of like make it feel part of the castle. Um, I was also surprised how confusing and challenging it was to do the underside of the bridge on a 45, like to do that arc. Mm-hmm. I just did one we just talked about it on the west gate where it was like a not even a 45 it was more like it was more challenging it was like a 25 degree or a 30 degree angle uh this is just a straight you know 45 so everything's in a straight line but i was trying and and trying to get some depth and you really have to wrap your head around how to add basic depth to a build when you're building on on this angle And uh, I ran into some trouble with things looking very samey and uh, wanting to add a little bit more to it. And once again, return to the epic change that they've made to walls in the last uh, couple of updates. Uh, And that is that they no longer have little gaps in them. So you can use Mm -hmm. them to recess parts of your build. Uh, Really had a lot of fun with that. Uh, And then spent the rest of that stream beating my head against the wall uh, with Minecraft water mechanics, trying to fill in a river (laughs) and having spots that flow that shouldn't flow. And oh man,
0: yeah. A long time ago, uh, when Decidedly Vanilla was still a thing, when I was playing on a multiplayer server more regularly, I had a plan for a base that was just going to be a series of showcases for how broken water mechanics are, or how differently water mechanics work compared to how you would expect them to work having experience with liquid in the real world. Uh, And so uh, just having, say, like a nether portal that was going to arrive in the base from a basically a cutout in an ocean that had no blocks around it but the water was all flowing downwards into trenches next to the staircase that would prevent the water from reconnecting as the source blocks reformed on the surface and stuff like that i never went through with it in the end probably for the same reasons that you're just annoyed messing around with water is that you know you put a you put a foot wrong and then water sources reform and you're back where you started but there's always those weird issues of sources not forming properly under the surface so then on the surface you get everything looking like it's flowing in towards a block that should by rights just be a full block and yeah there's there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in water mechanics in Minecraft but ultimately it does just allow you to do the things that you want to do and you feel like if it worked any differently then all of the rest of it would break. I think back to uh, the time when they were considering. Uh, having waterlogged stuff in the game for the first time and how in the first pass at that fences would not hold water back and whatever stage of flow water was in it would still flow through a fence and then everyone went wait a minute that's going to break everything i know and love (laughs) so they they sort of rolled back their vision of that and introduced waterlogging with source blocks instead
1: Yeah. And I, and I have to say this might be new to me, but when I did go under the surface of the water and look around to see where I might be able to fix things, I noticed that I could see the spots. Like I could see the sides of the water that needed replacing. Yeah. And, um, it didn't always work, but it gave me a, a better headspace as to what I needed to do to change it. Um, I just wish that it would be, I know you can't have water sources created um vertically in the same way that you can horizontally because the horizontal thing is a really neat game mechanic i've always thought that about minecraft where you can have like an infinite water source for you know things and uh i know that if you did that vertically it would not work for waterfalls you know you'd have trouble with all these new cool bubble column things like you did it just wouldn't work very well um i'm just wondering if there'd be a better way if it was like cubical, like if it was a three by three by three then it would fill in uh because man like it just it it becomes very very frustrating but i i moved on yeah (laughs) i gave it 15 minutes i got the surface flat with water yes there were some flowy bits that were driving me nuts and i just thought i will do that when i'm not on stream and my frustration will not come through Mm uh come through live um the other thing that i did uh which is a a fun little build on the inside of the east gate uh the east gate had a front but didn't have a back So I filled in a house, I put a couple of other walls up, and then I added another adjoining building. Having fun again with putting all of these houses along the road up against one another. So you kind of have to say yes and. Like this has to share this wall, but I don't want it to be super flat. So I'm going to give it an L shape and maybe a tower. And I'm just noticing that now that I've been in this uh, medieval realm, specifically the city for a couple of months, uh, building on weekends, I'm starting to get like a vocabulary of like, building a five by five tower with a roof that I like and, you know, having it look like other things, but knowing how to make it look more important or less important, depending on what's around it and having a lot of fun with that and getting some surprising detail without a lot of depth, uh, just bordering things with logs, putting stone in the middle. Um, tr- I'm trying to keep this stuff simple. Um, I think it might have been Whip that I was watching a little while ago that mentioned that he was trying in one of his new worlds to just not go super crazy with texture and and all that kind of stuff just for a time saver just to kind of see if he could do a simpler style to save him time and focus the details on the big big parts of things and then have the simple builds just be you know a couple different blocks you know not a checkerboard pattern but like just add a little bit of texture but don't like have to have like gradients on everything and, and trying to do it that way and uh finally had an opportunity to add a little bit of green into the city and it's it's nice to see some life cropping up in this dead
0: muddy stone mm-hmm. place yeah you, you don't you don't want uh, mid-2000s video game syndrome where everything is like muddy brown or stony gray you want to have some mm-hmm. inject some life into there which thankfully minecraft has a, a decent block palette for doing that
1: Speaking of colors, I was watching your latest RTX video, man. Some really fun fun stuff with that Ocean Monument. How's that going?
0: Oh, that's going very well. Yeah, no, the Ocean Monument uh, was surprisingly easy to raid. Uh, And in Bedrock Edition, I believe spawn mechanics for Guardians work very differently. They have specific spawning locations around a monument. But I encountered barely any at all and got some really cool cinematography out of it and, and a couple of really neat screenshots if you go... If you find an ocean monument that is really close to the surface and you're in Minecraft RTX, you get this really awesome reflection of the top of the temple, which I've put in our live show chat and I shared on Twitter as well. It's it's a really neat way of seeing the temple sort of reflected against the, the watery surface and the sea lanterns really stand out and everything. That's really what I was there for, though, was sea lanterns, because they are... I think out of all of the stuff I've experimented with and got my hands on in the RTX world, the cleanest light source for shining through coloured material to create lighting effects in other ways. Um... So I, I raided this monument, I killed the Elder Guardians, I got, I think I got really lucky, there are about four sponge rooms in it, um, so I, I managed to go and tear the sponge and the dark prismarine out, all the stuff that I usually like, and I brought about a stack and a half of sea lanterns back to my base, immediately started doing colour light tests against white backgrounds and against different materials, and... The light reacts in such a nice, predictable, realistic way that I think you would really enjoy playing around with this. If you were uh, shining, uh, you know, white light through a red stained glass block onto, say, um, you know, cyan terracotta or, or not not cyan terracotta that's a bad example because it's gray uh cyan concrete or uh, stripped warped wood is what i was using because i had a lot of it around from the roof of this house you find that it starts to make the combination of the color you're shining onto it plus the color of the material itself and so once it gets into like the orange and yellow spectrum the wood starts to look a lot more green and then as it goes through into more of the purple spectrum you kind of get a a section where whatever color blue you shine onto it just kind of amplifies the natural blue of the material so there's there's some really interesting effects you can get but if you're shining them all onto a white surface obviously you get this beautiful rainbow spectrum of all of the different colors of glass and i'm going to need to set up a guardian farm in this series because i don't think i'll be able to build without sea lanterns by the end of it i think they're going to be my go to light source if i want to get the types of effects that i really want to out of this game
1: in a pinch i wonder if end rods will give you the same the same effect because i think you mentioned before that you have a blaze farm now in that world? Yes,
0: I I at least have two very accessible blaze spawners and I'm working on a farm design that's going to combine the two. Thank you for everybody who suggested them. I have plenty of tutorials that I can look up, but I'm trying to do some stuff myself and puzzle through Mm. it because Bedrock Edition to me is also a bit of a challenge from a technical perspective. I know a lot of stuff in in Java that I take for granted isn't going to work and there are, you know, substitutes in Bedrock, but I also want to try a few of my own things um having said that i don't know if end rods are going to be as good as sea lanterns and it comes down to the size of the block model itself i actually Ah. think that the things that are full blocks are going to provide more light than the things that are just a single uh you know smaller you know tile entity or whatever you'd call it like the the kind of things like torches are for example torches really don't provide a whole lot of light for minecraft rtx despite the fact that you know, classically speaking, in the 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 block light, they provide light for a pretty wide area. And it comes down to where the light originates from, which is just the few pixels on the top of the torch itself is the emissive part of the texture in a PBR resource pack that determines the textures, right. the bump mapping, and all of the emissive stuff in, in RTX worlds. And I think the way it works is that an end rod because it has such a slim model is not going to provide as much surface area for the light to emit from as something like a sea lantern or a block of lava does and yeah it, it treats light very differently it's a very difficult system to get used to but i think end, end rods would probably provide as clean a, a sort of white light source as sea lanterns did i'm just not certain it acts over right. such a wide area
1: yeah the dispersion would be different the um now that you mentioned that, it makes total sense because when you have like a, a tungsten bulb or even a, a halogen bulb in your house in a lamp versus a light panel, which is what people use to light sets or photography, yeah. uh, you get a much wider, wider area. Uh, I was actually thinking about this the other day because I have LED lights now behind my television uh, and I still have some older lamps on top of my bookshelves to the left and right of the television. And I had one of these household lights on while I had a, uh, I think it was like a blue, uh, a blue light behind the the tv and i looked up on the wall and sure enough the the crest between the led lights and the lamp light was purple Mm -hmm. and it's because there's enough red in like a standard light bulb um we talk about like warm light versus daylight and stuff like that or natural light and there was enough red in that to to have what looks to you like a yellowish or a warmy orange kind of like house lamp um, there's enough red in it that the, the the area between the blue LEDs and the lamp on the wall were a purple. It was like a purple rainbow mm-hmm. <laughs> on my on my wall, and I immediately thought of RTX and and the kind of fun that you can have with that kind of stuff. The the part of your video that I found really interesting um, was how certain colors would um, really spread out on surfaces that were in the same sort of spectrum. Yeah. So like yellow light on like a sand block or um, you know, red light on, I don't know, like a, not redstone, but like, you like you insert, you know, warmer color here, it would get a lot farther than when you put red light up against like a, I think it was a warped wood block you said you used. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It turned more brown. It kind of like, they kind of cancel each other out. It really didn't do much. Um, what I found really interesting looking at the rainbow spectrum that you had on was the navy blue just did not go as far as the other colors up the wall, regardless of what, material was behind it
0: yeah and i think it's because it has like a a darker like hue to it like it's, Mm. it's it's adding in more of the the darker shade rather than it being a full saturated but still fa- fairly transparent blue and yeah so it's 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 interesting working with that stuff and it's it's still something that i am feeling out um i also got a chance to mess around with the the new uh, bedrock beta with rtx effects as well so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later yes. um in the meantime in survival guide have you ever seen a a desert temple a jungle temple and a pillager outpost all next to each other within about five or six blocks because i have <laughs> that at the museum now um wow. I, i've been rebuilding minecraft's generated structures to kind of showcase some of the the structures that are out there in the world in a smaller space and thankfully i can reproduce the uh, the pillager outpost without pillagers actually spawning there. <laughs> you know, it's funny, if you if you build a pillager outpost, they don't just, you know, come to inhabit it. Um, so, so I had a, a bit of fun messing around with that, and I ended up misinterpreting a screenshot of the pillager watchtower, and I ended up building it a block too tall because I put some slabs in instead of stairs or vice versa in one area, and so I ended up building it too high. And because i was on a stream and we had a bit of time to wind down i just thought yeah let me try doing this and i was certain that somebody would suggest it saying like oh if it was a block too tall then why wouldn't you just push the entire thing down with pistons and i don't know if you've ever tried correcting a build uh, using pistons but when it's a build as wide as a pillager watchtower it's not actually that great of a method. Like you you think of it in your head and you're like, oh, you just have to put a piston up there and pull a lever. Yeah, but you have to do that about 180 times to move all of these <laughs> blocks down. And there were some areas where I could move things down one piece at a time. And maybe I could have filled the entire thing up with fence gates and then just put an entire pad of pistons and push the entire thing down. But yeah, basically I cut a, 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 a single block you know, gully around the outside of the building and then proceeded to push down every segment of it uh, using rows of pistons where I could spare them. And yeah, it was it was a an interesting exercise and one that ultimately, I think, answered that question for me permanently. And I'll be referring people back to that when people come into my comments and say, why didn't you just pull stuff down with a piston? Because it, it doesn't work that way, believe me. Um, yeah. At the
1: risk of having a microphone thrown at me across the Atlantic, did
0: you ever think
1: about just adding some landscape at the bottom and raising it up by a block?
0: Uh, I was considering which way around to do it, and I think I just felt that I, I wanted them all on the surface that they were on at yeah, the time. But yeah, it's, um th- th- there was some interior structure to it as well, you know, floors that I would have to move up and so forth. So yeah, it was it was damned if you do, damned if you don't, I think. And a few people were just saying, just leave it as it is. But authenticity was so important to me that I felt like I had to, I had to get it right, you know? I, d- I didn't want it to look like a a pillager watchtower but something was just slightly off about it. And I know people are going to go through this with a fine-tooth comb and point out all of the mistakes that I make after the world's available for download. But it it was fun, and I continue to look around for other generated structures that I can make for this exhibit, a witch hut is probably going to go in there. And Mm -hmm. I think, for the most part, I'm going to stick to the ones which are the same every time, because there are so many permutations of things like ocean ruins, the ones that spawn the drowned in, just like the little, you know, sunken huts and things like that. And um, yeah, there's a few other structures, woodland mansions I'm probably going to do a few example rooms of, but they're just far too big to build an entire woodland mansion yourself. And... Yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be a fun exhibit just to showcase some of the stuff that is the same regardless of where you go in the world to find it. So so that's what I've been doing in, in Survival Guide. Um, before we move on to the news real quick, I've also been grinding a bit of Minecraft dungeons off camera, mostly just kind of in the idle moments when I felt like playing something a little bit different or I've got, you know, an hour or so before the end of the day and I'm just kind of looking to fill it with something. And I've sussed out some of the stuff that's going on with Ancient Hunts now, thanks to a couple of community-made spreadsheets where people have got it down to like a fine art of what runes you need from equipment to sacrifice to this nether portal that takes you on the Ancient Hunt and then which ancient mobs you're going to find if you give it these specific items. And so I've been going to specific levels to get that gear, coming back and then doing an Ancient Hunt in the hope of getting some gilded gauntlets or fighter's bindings or any of the the variations on the punchy kind of weapons and so far i've had some moderate success with that i got some gauntlets and i got some maulers which are like the animal claw kind of version of gauntlets oh fun yeah and and they've got extra enchantments on them so in addition to what they had already the gilded maulers also had an echo enchantment which means they hit multiple times and there's also three enchantments like standard gear that I can still add on top of that. So potentially you get a free enchantment, which if it is good, becomes like a really, really useful thing and basically makes that weapon, you know, an extra bit more powerful. And I'm starting to see the appeal of Gilded Gear. The ancient hunts are still very fun to do because they're procedurally generated. They're different every time and I still haven't seen all of the different permutations of the environment that you can get. So it's it's fun. It's, it's definitely revitalized some of that end game aspect of dungeons for me and certainly it makes it more fun to play casually at the end of a long day
1: Mm -hmm. yeah when you have some stuff you can like work towards and if you know it's going to be a little bit of a grind you don't you don't want to sink in like you don't feel like you have to sit down for hours and hours and hours you just pick at it every day you know get into a routine of just you know doing certain things that's that's really really cool Absolutely. Uh, I I didn't know that there was Maulers. That's cool. It has like a very druid thing in my brain. I'm just thinking like the big old bear mitts. You know? Yeah. Like, uh huh. Yeah. My yeah. first character in World of Warcraft was a druid, and I, I, I enjoyed the, the, the morphing into animals and, and how certain armor pieces would look like bits of animal, like your shoulder pads might have claws on them and stuff like that. It was very cool.
0: Yeah, having um, the, uh, the fox armor or the wolf armor plus the maulers is, is always a good look. Like, as far as fashion yeah. goes in Minecraft Dungeons, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Your stun-locking ability must be off the charts. (laughs) A little bit, yes. Although, as you ramp up the difficulty into the um, Apocalypse Plus difficulties, it introduces more modifiers to enemy behavior, and one of those is an increase in stagger resistance. So you can actually get to the Uh... point where you know you you can't stun lock enemies anymore because they're resistant to it by a factor of five or something right. and it it becomes a little bit more dangerous but uh, yeah super fun still and looking forward to uh climbing the ranks in minecraft dungeons as i play a little bit more not uh, sure
1: if you have uh, the ability to have a soundboard on your stream but i feel like you need to have like a bruce lee soundbite just like the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: is going absolutely just,
1: like, really really fun stuff
0: Yes, the way of Beaufort Steve continues. Uh, but in the meantime, we got some news for you this week. And while we don't have a Java Edition snapshot, what we do have is Mountain Generation coming to a Bedrock Edition beta we got a link to the article on minecraft.net that explains how to sign up for the beta and a few of the features you can expect to find uh once you've signed up for the beta though this was the the paragraph i pulled out to get a taste of the new mountain climbing or watching from afar experience make sure you enable the caves and cliffs experimental features toggle when creating a new world that's the important part you'll find that in the world generation settings if you scroll down uh, when you are creating the world, you'll find it there. And I believe you can toggle that in existing worlds, but then, of course, you would have to explore to previously unexplored terrain in order to find the new mountains. Speaking of the new mountains, here is what they say about them in the changelog. They've introduced new mountain subbiomes, which are lofty peaks, snow-capped peaks, snowy slopes, mountain grove, and mountain meadow those are from the top down so lofty peaks and snow-capped peaks you'll find at the tops of the mountains and then snowy slopes and then mountain grove and the lower reaches of the mountains are going to be mountain meadows to accommodate the new mountains in bedrock edition they've raised the world height from 256 to a maximum of 320 and new mountain generation goes up to a maximum of 256 blocks in height for the true alpinists iron coal and emerald ores have now been generated in mountains and you've updated textures for iron coal emerald diamond gold lapis copper and redstone throughout the rest of the world uh, mountain j- uh, terrain will now generate as part of overworld generation and goats will no longer spawn in extreme hills they can now be found in the snowy slopes subbiome of mountains and white rabbits will spawn in mountain groves The glow squid has also been reintroduced into this beta. The glow squid now emits colored glow ink particles when hurt. Players can now use dye to color sign text. The squid's model is no longer offset in the Y direction, which was another bug that they fixed, and they've added glow squid, glow ink sacks, and glow item frames to the creative inventory in Bedrock. There are more details and bug fixes in the full changelog about this beta, which you can find at feedback.minecraft.net linked in the show notes. One last thing before we move on. Minecraft Dungeons is getting an arcade game release. And quote from the article, once again, from Minecraft.net. While the arcade version still contains the familiar multiplayer dungeon-crawling gameplay you now know and hopefully love, it also offers a new take that is made available through fundamental differences between consumer games and arcade games. Instead of save files, the player uses physical cards earned through each play session to empower their character with weapons, pets, skins and items once again a full rundown of minecraft dungeons arcade release on minecraft.net linked in our show notes
1: i am confused by the dungeons arcade game release uh-huh yeah it, uh it seems a little weirdly
0: ahead. timed doesn't it right it's uh, yeah, they, yeah. They, they have been clear they, they clarify in this uh this kind of press release about it that uh the machines are going to be released at locations which are conforming to pandemic safety guidelines but it is also a four player cabinet (laughs) so you're going to have up to four people and presumably like you'll want four people most of the time playing this side by side so yeah once again we encourage everybody who listens to the show if you have an opportunity to check these things out please be safe while doing so but um yeah modern arcade games are weird joel like this thing dispenses trading cards basically and uh from what i can tell the gameplay looks different enough that it's going to be kind of familiar yet unfamiliar for anyone who's played dungeons the layout seems like more of if not like a side scrolling kind of thing then something a bit more like the classic gauntlet dungeon crawlers where everything kind of the camera shifts around to a fixed perspective a big battle takes place and you have to kind of jump and dodge your way through it and then you know it kind of moves on there are some more cinematic sections maybe a couple of boss fights and that kind of thing but yeah the fact that they're releasing an arcade version of minecraft dungeons seems a little strange considering the offering that we've seen from mojang previously which has all been you know home market games you know consumer games
1: yeah it it we, we, i at least mentioned a number of times on the podcast you know f- things that feel minecraft you know like i use that a lot to kind of describe you know the we'll say the development style of, of mojang and, and in particular java minecraft but i guess it bleeds over to bedrock as well uh this does not feel that way uh this is it, it, like i know it's a different form factor but that's not it for, for me it feels very markety like it's it, it's a game cabinet that no one asked for like i don't i don't hear people playing dungeons going like you know where this would be great <laughs> like in an in-person arcade I, you know it just doesn't seem like it, it doesn't add up to me yeah uh, and the environmentalist in me is just like w- we want more cheaply printed physical cards in the world
0: <laughs>
1: no we don't uh it reminds me of like those old sam and ralph warner brothers cartoons where they punch in before they watch sheep for the day it's like it's is this it's like an old computer punch card like yeah is that how you carry your character from
0: session to session it's, if it, you
1: lose the card you're screwed like I, I yeah
0: don't, i i don't think it's necessarily how you have to store your your character but i i think it's it's more like you get power-ups basically that you know you, you can you can start with some basic gear in the game but then you you kind of tap in various things like it's i assume it's like rfid chip it's like having amiibo for your nintendo console mm, or, mm. or anything like that and my mind f- flashes back to when i used to work for disney and disney infinity being a thing with the kind yeah. of the figures from that um that, yeah. yeah it's weird i know nothing about the arcade economy now like i don't know what kind of business traditional in-person arcades do anymore and from what i from the people i follow online i feel like the only reason to go to one of these is to play something that you more or less can't play at home like you know a dance dance revolution game or something like one of the things that requires an actual dance floor mat and Mm -hmm. those machines can be the size of a room sometimes um and and maybe some of the more um you know, flight sim kind of stuff where it's more immersive and you've got like a seat that rumbles and tilts and that kind of stuff is the the kind of thing that you can't recreate with a gaming setup. I don't know what this game is recreating in person that Minecraft Dungeons can't from the comfort of your own home or through online co-op and the incentive in that seems to be more that it's a different style of game to begin with but I'm not sure if it's the kind of game that people necessarily go to arcades for. So, again, like, this is just a world that I don't really know a whole lot about. And I do know some people who go to arcades when it is safe to do so. Um, But I'm not sure if they're the kind of people who would find this kind of game appealing. So it remains to be seen if I will ever see one of these. Um, I think they're only being distributed in North America for now. So I don't know if they're going to make it over here to the UK. Maybe they might have one at minecon if there's an in-person like the the minecraft festival that they were planning which is now going to be rescheduled for 2022 i can imagine a a room full of these being like a fairly popular thing to do uh but i don't know if we're going to see much action for it beyond that uh folks who are listening to the show if you have any experience running into one of these if you're somebody who goes to arcades whether now or in the future if you're listening to this uh at times when going to an arcade seems like more of a sensible thing to do uh then please do write into the show and let us know what your experience is it would be fascinating to find out more about this considering that joel and i are unlikely to encounter them in the wild. This is anecdotal, but if you're going to market
1: a cabinet, why not market a home cabinet? Uh, A few weeks ago on the Citadel Cafe, uh, I was talking with my friend Alistair, and he has purchased a number of three-quarter scale classic arcade games. Uh, I think it was like Marvel vs. Street Fighter, Turtles in Time, Miss Pac-Man, which is like a tabletop version, so it's not a full cabinet, it just kind of sits on your coffee table. Uh, And then he has another one, Street Fighter, another Street Fighter one as well. And... They look fun. They look social, but it's social within the home. Like it's it's getting your you know your your company up off the couch and engaging in something. And if you're not into card games and tabletop, then this might be a way to do it. But when I look at the image of the Dungeons arcade machine, uh, I don't know that that could be scaled for home comfortably. <laughs> yeah, and if it's, it did, it's a four player game as well. It's pretty yeah, big, regardless. Pretty big. Yeah. Now now the, the Turtles in Time is also a four player game because of the four Ninja Turtles. And again, even at three-quarter scale, it's still a sizable, you know, cabinet. The thing that I, you know, don't understand is like Dungeons is part of Xbox Game Pass. And I know roughly the price point of these home arcade cabinets. <laughs> so you could just get yourself an Xbox Series X, provided you can get your hands on one, uh, and have not only dungeons, but like hundreds of other games mm-hmm. for the same price. I like I just I I find it a weird a weird proposition, you know, from a market standpoint. It's
0: very, yeah. very strange. Well, well, given the rise of console gaming and the accessibility of PC and console gaming now, I'm surprised that anybody still goes to arcades at all and that arcades are a viable mm. business in any way beyond, like I said, the things that need a full dance mat where home peripherals don't really cut the mustard. But yeah. I, I, again, it's a world I know very little about. So uh, maybe there is there is some uh, <laughs> some gold to be mined there after all um speaking of mining though uh gonna be doing some mining in those new mountains how do you feel about the new mountains so far boy
1: they look nice mm-hmm. boy they look nice uh
0: they i mean
1: and again this is this is a cheeky thing to say they almost look too nice if that makes any sense yeah uh, compared to some of the other geography that we get or sorry yeah geography we get in no geography is maps uh geology that we get in in minecraft terrain generation i I'm immediately reminded of way back when I first was introduced to modded Minecraft as to why I might want to get into it. And that was because of Biome Bundle and the uh, terrain generation in that particular mod pack was just immersive and and different enough that it still looked like a fantasy world, but realistic enough that mountains looked like mountains and, and forests had different trees and different colors. And it really sort of um, spoke to me. I think the thing that sells mountains to me in the Bedrock beta that I've seen, uh, again not personally, but I've watched a couple of videos, uh, is the blending of the, what biome was it called? It was the forested something?
0: There's mountain groves. Mountain groves,
1: yeah, which I believe, even if it's just the way that they dot the trees and how the trees get more sparse the higher up they go, just like real mountains do, uh, very, very cool. Uh, I really enjoy the, the contrast of the snow going down between the, the tiger, uh, biomes and, uh, you can see some, looks like packed ice coming up at the top of the mountains, Mm -hmm. uh, enjoy the, the, um, hard peaks, uh, the, the, the lofty peaks poking through, uh, you have some more jagged edges, so it's not all like perfect, you know, like it's not, algorithmically smooth like yeah. there's some jaggy parts to it as if like wind and erosion and landslides have happened like i i really think it looks good and this is just the tip of the iceberg pardon the pun um like this is the first time we've seen the mountains they're going to go through some iterations they're going to go through some changes and uh, man i'm i'm impressed how do, how do you feel about them?
0: yeah i've i've been messing around with them in the bedrock beta and having seen a couple of screenshots of them i wasn't sure if i was going to update to the beta at all because the beta process on bedrock edition is still kind of irritating to go through um you uh, installing the beta is not a problem leaving the beta so that you can go back and play the current release of minecraft is where the problem uh, comes in um so i wasn't sure if i wanted to sign up for it or not however having seen a few of the screenshots i was convinced and rtx still works in the beta so it's it's really cool looking around with realistic lighting having the sun rise over mountains like this is incredible um but sometimes a 24 chunk render distance isn't enough to see the entire thing because they are huge um i think this is this is you know drawing into my mind a few other questions aside from how impressive it looks and especially on bedrock where if you're using the default rendering stuff without rtx your render distance can be up to i think like 128 chunks and and it and it does that very smoothly it is it is very very well done um i wonder what the opposite end of that scale looks like i wonder how much you know people who play java on an eight chunk render distance or less are really going to be able to appreciate a mountain biome that is this large because yeah oh boy um they, they are they are very, very large around, and you're you're not going to be able to see the ground from the peaks sometimes because of of the way they're all constructed. I I love the sub-biomes though. I think they've done a great job of blending those. And despite the fact that they um they kind of explain that they are height dependent it doesn't feel like you are just layering these things on top of one another they blend into each other very artfully you know there are some sections where a snowy uh mountain grove will kind of roll down into a section of the meadows and it doesn't sort of cut off abruptly depending on the height you know they know what they're doing with terrain generation and blending biomes at this point so it it works very well. I'm not sure which one is Lofty Peaks and which one is Snow-Capped Peaks. I have a feeling the Snow-Capped Peaks is the one with all the packed ice. But it is, mm. yeah, it, it's a a very nice looking blend. Obviously gets that cold vibe going immediately as soon as you see packed ice and it just kind of, it, it chills you to look at. And mm-hmm. they, they look very good if you can find them. And that is the other thing is that these mountains are actually fairly rare throughout the world they don't just replace extreme hills to to clarify the extreme hills generation that we've been calling mountains for a while still exists and i don't know if this is going to be permanent but i assume so because we rely on extreme hills areas for bulk resources like gravel um so i do kind of hope that those still have a place in the overall landscape it seems like they are still going to remain as common as they were before, but these mountains are going to be found somewhat rarely throughout the world. I would presume the rarity is some, somewhat akin to a jungle, in that it's not going to be like, you know, um, mushroom island levels of rare, because they can be surrounded by other landmass and it still feels like they generate naturally, but you're not going to be able to find them all that all that easily.
1: You don't tend to see really small jungles either. Like, I feel like that effect tends to have a, a greater impact with a broader area. And I can see how in order to make these work, they'd have to make them more rare. Otherwise, it's just going to be, you know, butting up against things like deserts uh, or um, or in a way that wouldn't feel right. You know, uh, having like snow-capped peaks in these um, snowy mountain meadows flowing down into desert would seem weird. You need enough of a green patch in between for that to work. Um, I was watching Jersey boy stream, um, from the snapshot and, uh, he had an assessment where he noticed that the extreme Hills were still there, but he was suggesting that they need a makeover, uh, if this kind of, if this new terrain mountain generation is going to be in the game, because it makes some of the janky floaty blocky things that hang out in extreme Hills to look very dated, um, and don't blend very well with, you know, a mountain either nearby or even within just visual distance. Yeah. And um, I agree, but I also, of course, want to point out that this is the first iteration of this. And I would hope that because they did mention, if I'm not mistaken, in Minecraft Live that they, they're they planning on updating the terrain generation, not just adding mountain biomes. And so hopefully because of the scale of these and how you need to blend them into existing biomes uh will help with maybe updating extreme hills so that they still have the same content but maybe they just they look a little bit different you have less of those little floaty outcrop things that you want to tear down um the other thing that that made me think about uh the biome blending and and whatnot is that for those of us out there that have existing worlds that are three and a half years old and you want to trim some chunks to get some of this new content (laughs) uh, not ten thousand blocks away i'm really curious how these scale uh mountains will blend into uh my existing world on the citadel without creating 250 block tall skyscrapers
0: yeah yeah i was going to say like you're looking forward to that uh, you know 200 block high just rock face (laughs) that's (laughs) an interesting thing to scale but but it's important i suppose to remember that having stuff like that is not really the intended experience and like whenever you're editing your world it's done using community made tools so it's never really mojang's intent for you to run into that stuff however i suppose if a mountain like that generated outside of your existing terrain anyway whether you deleted chunks or not you might still run into a, a big cliff face um, yeah yeah i mean i
1: tend to trim the chunks around oceans like i i don't trim down the middle of a continent like we yeah. we were able to see pretty clearly on the citadel where people have built and where they haven't uh and if someone if we've had a number of builds on on an island or on a large chunk of land i just leave the whole thing alone and tend to run the the chunk you know borders and trimming through the middle of an ocean i'm just hoping that in this it doesn't turn into something else entirely. Like I'm hoping yeah. that oceans remain oceans, that land remain, l- remains land, and that the new the new stuff will will happen. I am curious because we've got this really big area for the medieval build uh, in in the citadel and there are some spots that I would really like to trim back and have them reset. So, I mean, obviously I know enough to do backups and do it on my own and see what it looks like. And if it, if it works out, I'll be very happy because there are some extreme hills biomes that already actually in default Minecraft look really cool, really spooky. Think like Snake Mountain and like any kind of evil thing that you remember from an 80s cartoon. And like, mm-hmm. this is totally what this biome wants. And if it gets an update like this,
0: minus the snow, I'm on board. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the Mount Doom update is effectively what we've got for a lot of <laughs> a lot of our fellow nerds, and yeah, it's also important to note that while Bedrock does have the mountain generation now, they haven't introduced any uh, cave generation of the type we've seen in Java, and it seems like the Java and Bedrock devs kind of work independently on separate features as they've done in previous updates where. The whole team is working on different stuff across the board. And so eventually we'll see these mountains or something like them implemented in Java Edition and then the caving aspect from Java Edition gets brought over to Bedrock. And so we don't know how those two are going to interact yet. We don't know if these mountains are actually going to generate huge caves in them or if they are effectively going to leave all of the cave generation for, you know, sub sea level terrain we, d- we don't know that for certain yet but we've already seen some of the cave generation on java start to affect extreme hills biomes they have cave carvers and stuff now that affect some of the the uh the surface generation even going into some of the higher regions of the world so mountains could look very different once you've applied that to them as well there could be more opportunity for mountain caves and ravines and stuff to generate in places we don't already see them in this beta um As far as ore generation though, they've actually introduced that with this snapshot, or at least- or this beta. At least they've introduced the changes to iron, emerald, and coal ore generating. And it's weird to me now to see emerald ore spawning in veins of more than one block, because that's really been a characteristic of emerald ore since it was introduced, and now if you go up into some of these mountains you find sections where there are two or three blocks of ore at once, sometimes more. And, you know, that's without really mining into the mountain to see what else is in there. So for those of you who are like me and like to just collect emerald ore because it's an unusual block, it's going to be, you know, the first place I want to (laughs) go when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm also entirely in favor of another biome where rabbits spawn in abundance, which seems to be the case with the the snowy slopes or the mountain groves. Uh, I think one or two of those biomes have unique levels of mob spawning so you'll find rabbits there more frequently which is yet another place you can go looking if you're planning on exploring some of the new terrain but you're also looking to get new features like bundles under your belt then uh, yeah get give that a try as well
1: i'm looking forward to seeing this kind of stuff in game like i i couldn't decide watching videos like do i want to build on them or at the bottom so i can look at them like mm-hmm. i would have a really tough time deciding i mean maybe both you know uh, but it just it they just look so majestic. And having seen some real mountains uh, in in Utah in two thousand and seventeen, um, and and a couple of other times as well, like it just it you really they really captured that feeling, even in in videos. Like I haven't even been there in in person yet. Uh, I would imagine VR would be bananas. Oh yes, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I can I can yeah. see that
0: being a a really dramatic experience. But yeah, we finally have mountains that feel large enough and grand enough that you can build a sort of mountain civilization on without either having to build it yourself or terraforming an extreme hills biome to the point where it actually looks coherent and mm-hmm. I, I think that's going to be appealing to a lot of players there are also going to be some mad lads out there who want to tear the entire thing down <laughs> i feel like <laughs> flattening a mountain for all of the resources inside is going to be uh, a new sport i think once people get a beacon <laughs> so uh, yeah who knows who knows what the plans are, but I'm sure somebody will somebody will do it.
1: It's like the exact opposite about what you and Whip have done over the last year.
0: And oh and yes, a half. yeah. Me, me and me and Whip are having an existential crisis right now. Let me tell you. I mean. <laughs> yeah whip took one look at these he was on twitter saying like these uh, these have rendered me basically useless joking obviously but like (laughs) it it is it is really interesting to see something that the uh, approaching the level of naturalistic mountains that players have had to build in the game since if they wanted terrain like that and i think it in in all seriousness it hasn't made any of our efforts especially redundant because for a start we've already done a whole bunch of it and it's been content for us in the past, which is really what we tend to do stuff for. But also, uh, you're not going to find these mountains everywhere. And if you want one in the middle of a snow plains and there's no mountains to be found anywhere, you can still have a go at building a custom landscape yourself. This, yeah. is, this is not going to deter anybody who wants terraforming just closer to home if one of these mountains turns out to be generated as far away as your average woodland mansion, for example.
1: It will make some of those cool combinations really, really fun to discover. Like imagine finding your really large mushroom island close enough to a mountain biome that you can see it in the distance, Mm -hmm. you know, or uh, or vice versa, having some really cool combinations of like a mountain biome going down into a jungle next to it, you know, or a mesa or yeah, something absolutely that would be really get, really cool get
0: some uh, some hawaii style volcanic mountain yes, next yeah. to next to dense jungle like that'd be a, a really cool combination um speaking
1: of tearing them down do you think they're going to be hollow or are they just solid from top to bottom
0: i mean i think they're going to have some standard caves in them right now but like i said mm. once once we get java cave generation introduced to them through either the bedrock betas or the java snapshots it'll be really interesting to see how caves start to generate in there and and what you know the cavernous spaces that we're finding now below y0 are we going to find some of those naturally in mountains or is it just going to be the kind of spaghetti caves that we get closer to the surface mm, that that'll yeah. be uh that'll be where i feel like mountains get taken to the next level for interest in player bases and that kind of stuff i i can imagine a lot of players waiting until they've got some slightly more heavy duty gear and netherite efficiency and haste beacons and so forth before they really start taking on hollowing out one of those mountains if there aren't caves in there already
1: oh man yeah no it takes diggy diggy hole to a whole new level mm-hmm. uh, definitely I, spe- I like whenever i see these images i'm reminded of the opening scene from two towers lord of the rings where you're getting refreshed of the fight between gandalf and and golem and like it's underneath the mountain you know and then yeah. you go inside of it and you see all the, the intricate work that the dwarves have done uh and ju- it's just such it it at the same time that they appear in the background and they give your builds a majestic feel and make the world feel more more natural, your inspiration and imagination just kind of goes through the roof. It's like, what could I, I, there's so much room that I could put inside of this. And instead of having it be completely hidden, the entrance to this massive thing that I could do inside this mountain could be visible from the outside as opposed to being buried underneath the earth. It's, it's very, very cool.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, let's move on to email before we, uh, <laughs> we, we've got a few more people talking about uh the way mountain generation is going to impact the world so uh if you want to read this first one absolutely if you'd like to email the show you can send that message
1: along to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com first one is from naturegamer64 ice dungeons and powder snow generation hi johnny and joel i recently was exploring the new mountains in the latest bedrock edition beta and i realized something about the way that powder snow generates Mojang seems to want powder snow to be a threat, something that you can get trapped in and die. However, at least currently, the powder snow only generates in patches that are one block tall. This sort of eliminates the threat and makes wearing leather boots basically pointless. I think that powder snow should generate at least two blocks deep, and maybe even generate above cave entrances. What do you think of Mojang potentially adding new structures, like an ice dungeon that would only generate in the mountains? They would have to, uh, a stray spawner uh, the skeletons that have the the frozen look a loot chest and multiple powder snow traps including an entrance made out of path of patchy powder snow nature gamer 64 has left the game i i like the idea of a dungeon isolager anyone anyone yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just i mean i'm strays are fine but like they're a skeleton with a wardrobe change uh i just and if and if there was going to be something akin to an isology i know i'm being you know esoteric here but um i think maybe something outside rather than just another square box inside of the mountain uh i i think a more custom structure would would be warranted uh i'm thinking uh back to those uh gray games that you mentioned earlier uh and that is uh skyrim Um, there's a lot of uh outside snowy peak kind of like they almost look like ritualistic areas that have like altars and 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 there's an inside but there's a good chunk of the thing outside as well and that i think would also speak to enemies that could use the elements uh using the elements inside of a stone box seems kind of strange to me um but but i like the idea of adding some sort of structure up there or or reward or something not just that there's more coal and emeralds and and iron up there I, i like the idea of having something else up there as well um as far as the snowier snow i'm guessing that's just the powder snow being the first iteration like i think they're probably going to tweak that as things go on um I did see that in one of the videos. I think it was might have, might have been an Exumavoy that was talking about that. And, and it, I was surprised as well. I was like, well, that seems strange. Like, why yeah. would you not have it be something that you could fall through into something else? Hence my question, like if some of these are going to be hollow, um, because that would be tragic if you did die and lost all your items. But if you didn't fall far enough to die, then that would be a really cool kind of like plunk. All of a sudden you're inside of a big cave that you didn't know was there.
0: Yeah, no, I I can speak to this a little bit, actually, because I've definitely found patches of powder snow which are multiple blocks deep. They they tend to generate in naturally formed kind of valleys in the higher structures of the mountains. So once you get into snowy slopes Uh. and upwards, um, I found that if there's like a basin formed by a series of mountains surrounding a lower area, then there are often patches of powder snow there, which are layers of multiple blocks. And that may just be the way they ended up generating you find patches of powder snow, kind of drifts of powder snow on some of the snowy slopes as you are climbing, but then it's going to be obvious which of those are two blocks tall because you'll be able to see them from the side. They're being propped up by rock face and I think it's, it's not really going to be a threat to anybody that way. Where it is going to be a threat is when you can't tell how deep it is just at first glance. And yeah, I think there are going to be some ways that these can be refined over time and be made into more of an environmental hazard. I would also say that they're never really much of a threat. I didn't have a shovel with me. I just broke blocks with my hands when I was playing in survival. It's it's pretty easy to avoid. I think falling through them into something else is definitely the only way they'll be truly dangerous and I think most of the time Mojang wants experiences like that to be the player's you know, control. They, they they want to to have players use these as a trap block, but they aren't necessarily much of a trap to the average player when you're exploring, unless you really don't know what you're doing. Um Yeah. yeah. And I feel
1: like that wouldn't feel
0: good. Like, I mean, there's yes. sometimes when you fall into something and you die, you're like, all
1: right, that was my fault. I jumped to an old cave. I wasn't ready. There was three creepers and a skeleton and I got my butt handed to me. But then there's other times when you know you mine through a block of the nether and you're just a little bit too brazen and you end up falling into lava that you didn't know was there and it's you know two blocks deep uh sea basalt deltas you know in the Mm -hmm. update in 116. Um, and I feel like if you fell through, um, in early exploration, you fell through some powdered snow into a, you know, 30 block drop into a cave and you just hit the ground and died. All of your stuff is there. You've got very little chance of finding where you fell in because yeah, it's exactly. covered because in snow. Yeah, exactly. There's no signpost yeah. for it whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, like that would be, you might as well just jump into lava. I mean, all your stuff would be a yard sale. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get anything back. So, yeah, like it, it's a hard balance, I would imagine, between wanting it to i think the idea is it it's meant to, to slow the player down yeah uh rather than harm the player that's usually my my guess now that said if there's other things on the mountain like if a skeleton has spawned or it's a, if it's nighttime then you, and you're going slow and you're stuck then yeah that's going to be a problem but then like that to me is the same as going into a cave unprepared right
0: yeah exactly and, and that's that's something that i think is going to be their main uh hazard is is just slowing you down it's like walking through cobwebs or berry bushes or or anything else that's going to drag like soul sand same thing like you're you're going to mostly find that the environment is a hindrance not really like a permanent threat um somebody in our live chat is is pointing out like the comparison to magma blocks warhammer says like it's not really much of a trap it just adds a bit of environment to the game and i i entirely agree it's it's the mm-hmm, kind of thing mm-hmm. that you know once you're okay at spotting it or in the case of the powdered snow it's a little bit difficult to spot if you're moving compared to regular snow it's not you know it, it, it's not exactly playing fair if if this thing basically like kills you really quickly or is going to be much of a threat i i do like the idea of incorporating structures into it though going going back to that idea as like the primary idea from this this email the ice dungeon um I'm reminded here of a couple of sequences in the 2018 God of War game for PS4. Um, There's a section where you climb a snowy mountain, there's a a giant hammer that's been left there by some sort of, you know, enormous uh, giant, and you undo the strap from this hammer and it breaks through the ice to an area below where there might be, you know, a temple or something like that. I forget exactly what that sequence turns out like, but something like that. Maybe there being a structure frozen underneath ice and you use your ice pick to, you know, chip through this thick layer of ice to find something underneath. That might be something a bit more compelling. Um, Maybe there's scope in future for something like that, a structure buried inside the mountain or a monastery on the side of it that's half buried in snow the same way desert temples are buried in sand. There could be, you know, uh, a mammoth boss that's just kind of preserved in ice and and melting the ice could let it out or something like that. I don't know. There, there are a few, uh, a few options there for them to expand. And like we were saying on the last episode with Deep Slate and how they suspected that there might be expansions for Deep Slate further down the line in the same way that Stone has been iterated on and been given new blocks over time, this is just the first pass at mountains. We could be seeing... An entirely different landscape uh, when when it comes to mountains. A few more updates down the line.
1: I know it might feel like just a warden on the mountain, but an abominable snowman would be. Yeah, I really mean, yes, fun. like Yeti that update. would be
0: anyone. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. That well, that very Minecrafty too. You know, like a lot of the monsters and bad guys in the game with like zombies and skeletons and witches and things are kind of classic monsters. And I feel like a, a, a M- abominable snowman is enough of pop culture that I think it would be pretty. It would be pretty fun uh pretty fun to have it especially if it's like a cartoony like blue face you know i mean don't just copy the iron golem skin like at least make it look a little bit unique but again like you're worried about goats throwing you off a mountain i would imagine that a yeti would pitch a a a steve in minecraft pretty
0: far (laughs) yes i mean an abominable snow golem even you know you you can you can take minecraft's existing stuff and and run with it a little bit speaking of goats by the way goats make so much more sense to me now being on these taller mountain structures they always seemed a little bit out of place in the extreme hills environments and i do think that now that there are these sort of higher spires of rock and snowy areas for them to jump to and fro i really think they they fit in a lot better in the new mountains like they actually feel like they are in their natural environment now which is is a a really great change i think and want you not in their natural environment. No, exactly. Yes. <laughs> as hostile as ever for, for passive mobs. Anyway, um, let's, let's move on to the next email, though. This is discussing some more of the newer features and uh, some of the stuff we talked about on previous shows. This one comes in from Alwed38, and the subject is Copper Pipes and Music. Dear Pix and Joel, you guys talked recently, around episode 129-ish, about using copper in music in Minecraft. And I thought of two things they could do with this idea. First, as there is currently no brass instrument sound for note blocks, they could use copper blocks to add that in, as brass is an alloy of copper and zinc. I'd choose the trombone, but as a trombone player, I'm biased. Second, I really liked your idea of copper pipes extending the note to roughly a half note's length, and I thought a good way to do this would be to put the copper pipe on top of a note block so that the note is sort of forced through the pipe, thus making it longer. Anyway, just wanted to share my thoughts. Love from a fellow Canadian. Alwed38 has left the game. Wow, everyone with the same sign-off. <laughs> I feel like they've coordinated this effort, but uh, great job there, yes. Thanks for the email, eh?
1: I uh, I hadn't realized there was no brass sounds from the note block. Yeah, like it, I, I it figured seems there would like be, a, but there is an,
0: an obvious omission from the kind of MIDI uh, palette that they're working with. It's it's not exactly MIDI, but it's it seems similar in terms of uh, sound synth.
1: Yeah, I want a trumpet. I want uh, revelry in in Minecraft. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> great opportunity to wake up your your fellow server
0: mates. With with Mambo number five or whatever, you know, yeah. <laughs> def- definitely an nice. option for it. Um,
1: yeah, I uh, it did make me think about like other, I mean, we covered this a lot in the, the previous show, but it did make me think about what other blocks coming in 117 might generate new sounds. You know, we've got Deep Slate, we've got New Ores, we've got Powder Snow. Um, but I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like usually it's block type that dictates the sound so like a new wood isn't going to give a new sound it's just going to go in with the other woods that sound like a bass guitar right
0: yeah i'm looking at the note block uh article on the minecraft wiki to remind myself of some of the uh the categories here and yeah it does seem to be that it is more of a material type it's so stone uh obsidian quartz sandstone ores, brick all of that stuff has the bass drum sound mm-hmm. attached to it and then the different resource blocks are really where that starts to vary so blocks of emerald iron and gold have completely different sounds all of the different wools give you a guitar sound and uh you know bone block is a xylophone which i still think is very funny uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and hay bale being a banjo is another <laughs> another great one as well but then most other blocks are the harp and piano kind of sound that you just get the rest of the time on you know grass or whatever um I think there's definitely room in the palette for a a brass instrument there because a lot of them are, you know, either they're woodwind instruments or they're chimes or string instruments like a like a guitar. Um, my my vote for brass would be the, the saxophone, although the uh, instrumental purists among you will probably note that the saxophone is technically a woodwind instrument. Uh, it's a reed instrument. But um, yeah, I, I, I think a, a saxophone sound or a trumpet sound would be would be nice and bright and would really add to the the kind of note block palette which tends to get a little kind of wooden and clunky there's a few sort of higher slightly trebly instruments in there like the banjo and the um the the chimes especially up into the the higher registers of those but i really think a a saxophone or a trumpet would go a long way uh
1: is there a a reed instrument like is there like an oboe or a, a uh, uh there like is
0: no. there is not really no um the flute mm. i guess is the closest it gets towards woodwind and then it's yeah. a, a didgeridoo <laughs> which i don't yeah, think right. don't think yeah. counted uh, last time no. i checked as a reed instrument
1: I, i'm wondering if that's because a lot of those instruments including brass tend to not be staccato like they yes, tend to yeah. have longer notes right yeah definitely uh, french horns like that kind of thing i just yeah like the more that i think about this and the more that we have because we've got several emails about music uh i just this just happened to be the best one i like i really want longer notes i would be more inclined to mess with music in in minecraft if if one we had access to longer notes and some some slightly different sounds less midi uh and two if the interface for scrolling through the note block stuff was better uh, yeah, which I understand you can use a data pack. I think to have a slightly better experience, but you might have to go as far as using a mod to really get a, a dialed-in way of 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 seeing things uh, to change the note. I feel like the the graphic UI there could use an update, probably more so than we could use new sounds.
0: Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree. I think the. Uh, the the way to interact with note blocks in Minecraft always has to be dependent on if you left click or you right click. And there aren't many other ways for players to interact with them aside from mm. changing instruments. I think note blocks are also so useful for redstone contraptions that I feel like it'd be a change. It, it'd be weird if more changes were made to them, but not in a way that helped with any of that stuff. But yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if, once again, if we uh, get a few more sounds because the... I can't remember when exactly the other note block sounds were added—the banjo and the eight-bit sounds. I think they were closer to 1.14, and so. That are the 15
1: with the villagers, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so it's um, it, it's it's been a a little while since we had some, but they have been added in more modern updates. So it would it would not surprise me if we got a few more here and there.
1: Our next email comes in from Jay, New cave lighting idea. Hello, the spawn chunks. I've been listening to all of your podcasts for the past few weeks, and I've been thinking a dangerous pastime, Jay. What if Mojang added pets that can glow, lighting up caves so that you can see much easier? These animals could be tameable with some kind of food or item. Uh, I got this this idea from Ark Survival Evolved, where you can, on on some of the maps, tame glow pets and give yourself a light or light up an area. In Minecraft,
0: maybe you could have them on your shoulder like a parrot.
1: Have a nice day. Sincerely,
0: Jay. Uh, this this takes me back to my days playing Pixark where you could tame fireflies and they were way more useful than any of the torches or candle helmets or anything that you could make you just you just tamed a firefly it hopped onto your shoulder and that was it until you died and the firefly inevitably died with you. Um speaking of which the Twilight Forest mod has fireflies that you can I think just catch or you know right click on or mine off of trees in the twilight forest and then reattach them so that they don't follow you with dynamic lighting but they feel like a more organic source of block light and the reason Mm. i bring those up is because we've discussed previously on the show the reason the glow squid doesn't glow is that they're not all that interested in providing a dynamic light source that players can use to illuminate their surroundings but not provide the in-game light that prevents mob spawning And that is kind of the the, the trade-off with Minecraft's lighting right now is not really having a way to light your way in some of these darker caves because they don't want to give the player the illusion that that's also preventing mob spawns.
1: If they did it, this feels like a very, you know, quote unquote, Minecraft thing to do. You know, see the Strider versus the Netherite boat, you know, kind of like request versus what ended up being put in the game. I, I feel like... With axolotls, you know, coming in and and like those kind of creatures, I feel like something like a glow in the dark, you know, creative mob, like a a passive mob that is that is fantastical, you know, would would go a long way. I mean, fireflies are cool. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that kind of stuff. And say something like a lush cave. Yeah. Um, like maybe just biome specific. Uh, although i guess in those we already have the the particles from the spore blossom but then like if spore blossoms gave off light or if the particles glowed rather than just being kind of the the dusty green that they are that that could help as well um maybe something like a glow worm but again you get anything that we experience in the natural world tends to be insect based uh and so it becomes very difficult in minecraft because it's just so small you can't really do anything with it although i guess we do have bees and they're the size of footballs so (laughs) yeah
0: um i mean imagine a firefly coming at you sound like a helicopter or dragonfly (laughs) i mean right yeah no the 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 fireflies in twilight forest were still about the size of an item frame and okay they, they kind of stuck to trees and provided a pretty nice glow um the the other side of twilight forest being that the day night cycle just didn't happen there it was a constant state of dusk and i think mob spawning was a more custom thing than just it being dark enough to spawn mobs all the time but uh yeah like i I think it's it's there's an interesting opportunity for them to do stuff like that in future whether it's more bioluminescence like the glow lichen that we now have in caves um they did a great job in minecraft dungeons of making the warped forest nether biomes are more bioluminescent area and Mm -hmm. so i I think there's definitely room to explore that whether through sort of uh you know fantasy environment or something a little bit more that draws from our natural world there's there's definitely a few avenues to explore there
1: i really like the mushrooms from creeper woods they make a little noise when you run across them yeah yeah yeah. sparkle a little bit that's kind of a fun idea and i also remember um i don't remember it might be the dark crystal but there's other there's some Jim Henson films or shorts that I've seen where they don't glow in the dark but they're essentially puppets that are plants and they as someone approaches the spines or like like a sea anemone they kind of like go inside they get sucked inside a little cone and having something like that which again would probably require a lot of animation and and tech behind it but having something like that a, a natural plant in the world that is illuminated but not illuminated all the time could be kind of Fun. like oh cool i can see where i'm going until the plants decide it's time to go to sleep and yeah. then all the lights go out like that could be that could be really cool um and obviously with bioluminescence I, i'm reminded of james cameron's avatar as well
0: yeah yeah i'm thinking something like redstone ore when you run across it in a cave and it temporarily lights up the environment having having that but something more akin to the way a puffer fish behaves if you get too close to it it gets frightened and then all of the light goes away that'd be an interesting way of lighting stuff up when the player wasn't around but making it darker when they were that's that's not a not a bad idea i think that one's got legs Moving on to the last email here, we've got this one from Andy N, and the subject is a little bit of a meta one this time around, is spoilers. Hello there, I've been listening to this podcast on and off for a while, and I really enjoy it. Minecraft is such a fun game, and it's nice to hear passionate players talk about it. As we move towards the new update, I know I'll want to experience it fresh for the first time I play, but to me that means I should stop listening to y'all, since you'll cover all the new content. Do you have any advice on how to stay connected without spoiling the game? thanks for doing what you do. Stay chunky. So
1: I got to thinking about this and how I experience the snapshots and how I like to try and again, have fun with these, um, these bits of new content for myself. But of course, doing the podcast, I have to stay on top of things. I think you're pretty safe listening about the updates to the game. Especially where like there's no visuals. In, in the YouTube version of our show, it's just a couple of, it's just the title card um, from, from that episode. We don't actually have like visuals going along with it. It's not a video podcast. Uh, in, this, in the same way, they video review a YouTube video about a snapshot will show you what's going on, show you the new textures. So, um, depending on how you feel about listening to, uh, to news and content, I think that's a pretty easy way to, to keep up on the, the goings on, but not have anything spoiled um i would avoid youtube reviews if you're worried about that because then you're going to see all the things and and get someone's opinion i think that might be the the thing that that would be hard to and be a very subjective thing in terms of someone concerned about spoilers is that if you want to form your own opinion about the new content it's difficult when you're just spending weeks listening to other people's opinion about it uh because that can kind of lead you in one way or the other um or you know having not seen it yourself you you can then say, like, "hmm, I wonder if Joel was right complaining about Blackstone this whole time. um, but really, i I think that you're pretty safe i I, I think we do a good job of reporting without spoiling stuff again, because we're not a visual medium,
0: yeah, no, i I would agree. And to be honest with things moving at the pace that they are right now i would be surprised if i even remember what we talked about a few podcasts ago <laughs> by the time yeah. we get to some of this and and, and i'm yeah. the guy who's in the thick of it trying to you know puzzle my way through all of the snapshots week to week so i think you will still be ultimately surprised by the experience once you get into 1.17 and as long as you stay out of the snapshots yourself and like joel said maybe shy away from the more in-depth youtube reviews i think you'll probably be okay um yeah, I, I do think I do think the The way things are coming together in the snapshots right now is relatively despite the fact that we're getting so many features it's relatively gradual because we're getting each of these features more or less in isolation from each other we had lush caves or at least the lush cave blocks but we don't have natural generation for those dripstone caves are only available as an option some of the newer like under y zero kind of caves are generated in the current snapshot but we don't know how all of those puzzle pieces fit together yet so i feel like what we're going to get at the end of this is an update that feels greater than the sum of its parts when experienced as a whole product and i think for that you're probably going to find that regardless of how much stuff you end up listening to or watching you'll still have a great time exploring it yourself i think just wanting to make sure this update has a long tail, not wanting to go in knowing everything about the features is totally fine. And so I think, yeah, it, like we, we, will, we will continue to discuss stuff on the show here and there, but then there's also going to be, I would imagine, a few weeks of bug testing and so forth as well, at which point our well of new information about this update is going to dry up. We'll go more into a bit of community speculation, a bit more kind of hype building mode, And Mm. we won't have as much in-depth discussion of snapshot changelogs, except for maybe like, oh, they fixed this bug that was preventing spore blossoms from doing something or whatever. So I think most of the time you're going to be fine listening to us. And I I don't say that just because I want people to keep listening to the show. I I mostly say that just out out of curiosity and as somebody who avoids spoilers for things that I'm really into anyway, I think most of the time if you're listening to something like this it's it's going to be fine it's all about the your journey through minecraft and how you experience stuff when you're playing the game and this podcast is much more like you know overhearing a couple of people talking about something and Mm -hmm. uh, we we since minecraft doesn't have a plot we're not going to spoil the twist for you (laughs) or anything and i think uh, you're going to have a lot of fun when you get into the update itself and play around with the new features
1: yeah you took the words out of my mouth with the plot reference that's you know because something i avoid on the citadel cafe or at least give people warnings to are spoilers when we're going to talk about something that might reveal the ending or where things are going or any kind of cool uh cameo like specifically like marble content where they just they throw these cool moments you don't want to rob people of that really fun experience um Personally, I do watch, obviously, a lot of YouTube content on the snapshots to cover that on the show, and I never feel like I've been cheated of that experience when I go to play the game Now, that's just me, but I find that a lot of times people play the game faster than I do, so when I see stuff in-game for myself, I can take the time to really examine it and walk around it, and I feel different when it's you controlling the mouse and experiencing it in the game versus just even watching a video, um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a great question. I'm really glad for the email
0: yeah thank you very much for that and thank you to everybody who wrote in this was uh we didn't really mention this a chunk mail dispenser (laughs) so having had a pretty solid discussion for the news that is where we're going to leave it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to all of the stuff we've mentioned today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me. The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast. If you like many other folks are getting some value out of the show please consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com thespawnchunks to join our community where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and gets us closer to our next milestone goal which is still the monthly minecraft audio hangout where we can sit down in a quiet room with our patrons and just discuss what everyone's been doing in minecraft that week we are currently at 235 patrons which is down a little from last week as patreon sorts out who's uh, signed up this month and who hasn't special thanks as always go out to our content engineers fazu battlecaster general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555 jumbo Sale, and yitz thank you all for your support on this episode
1: Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can find us at The Spunchunks on Twitter and Instagram. But a personal recommendation from a safe distance is always the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm and say, hey, you should listen to this and then tell them where to find it. Where is that? On iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Really, wherever you find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the
0: Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game, mostly in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide and playing other games from time to time, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick search on YouTube. Aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online?
1: everything i'm up to online including my illustration and design portfolio is at joelduggan.com you'll also find a link to the citadelcafe.com on that page that is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment currently enjoying wandavision that's all wrapped up so you can expect more of that in the near future you can follow me at joelduggan on social media and of course joelduggan on twitch where i am
0: playing minecraft building a medieval city and uh, spending some time in satisfactory thanks for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is infinite and some of the peaks are lofty